Wow, that's impressive. NVIDIA really doesn't pick up any of that. It says I'm not doing anything at all. I was whistling the Little Root Town BGM from Pokemon Emerald. And uh, yeah, my microphone just didn't pick up, pick up on that at all. <laughs> okay, that works at least. Hello, everybody. That's the intro for today's episode. Welcome to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. So wonderful to be talking to you all again. And thank you very much for listening. We are officially in opening week for baseball. And it is going to be a big week, not just for baseball, but for me as well. I've got baseball on the mind constantly. There are lots of things that I want to talk about, and that's why I'm going to be doing a podcast every day this week. Why? Because I have mental disorders! So if there is anything you would like me to talk about, just last minute, any random sort of thing, a question you might have, or whatsevs, then, uh, I don't know, send it to me, at Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter, or Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much once again for your inquiries and your support. I appreciate you. I really do. Uh, by the way, I'm Lux, if I didn't make that any any clear. I'm the guy who does this podcast, apparently. How unfortunate. How did we get here? How did, how did anybody get here? Why were we even born? Anyway, uh, so today what I'm going to be doing is I am going to be grading every player that played for the Royals last season in 2022. I went through all of them. I was testing all of them. Now it's time to grade those tests and pass those papers back to the kiddos and tell them how bad they should feel. Nah, I'm just kidding. I, I don't think any of them are going to be listening to this, but maybe it'll make you feel bad or maybe it'll maybe it'll make you feel good. Maybe they'll all get really good grades and they'll be like, oh, it's actually not that bad. Or maybe you'll just see that I'm a really, really bad teacher. Something like that. Sorry for the loud clang. It's probably not actually loud because I just equalize everything. Anyway, whatever. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. But before that, we should talk about some current events that are going on with the Royals. And for the record, I'm recording this 2 p.m. Sunday, uploading this 6 a.m. Monday like I usually do. So if something happened today and I didn't talk about it and you're probably like, why didn't you talk about that, Lux, you you stupid idiot? Why didn't you say this on your podcast? Well, look, we're going to be doing an episode on Tuesday. We're going to have an episode tomorrow. So if there's anything I missed on Sunday, I'll talk about it tomorrow. It's probably not that big of a deal. And if it is super serious, then I'll, I don't know, do another podcast on Monday. Whatever. I don't have a life. I don't have feelings. So the current happenings with the Royals, these are, of course, roster updates. We are getting more updates to the roster because spring training is almost over. Opening day is almost here. I actually have no idea how many games left we have to play. I'll figure this out someday when, when I realize that there are no games being played. And it's like, oh, this must be the end of spring training. But that's not today because the Royals are playing the Cubs today, at least. So whatever. Anyway, so we have some options being made. Some guys who are going to start the year in Omaha. And they are all relief pitchers. They are Richard Lovelady, Josh Taylor, and Josh Stamont. The Joshes are gone. We are not joshing around. The Royals are not going to have any of this joshing around this season. 
or um, at least on opening day. I'm sure we'll see at least some of them again. Now, I have to go back to my uh, roster projection that I made a couple of days ago, which already looks like crap because so many of the guys I thought were going to be on the opening day roster are not on the opening day roster. Thanks, Royals! Um, and that includes Josh Taylor and Josh Stalmont. Although, in my defense... I thought Josh Taylor was out of options. I didn't realize he wasn't. I put him on the opening day roster under the assumption that he is going to be out of options. So, okay, that settles that, I suppose. And Josh Stalmont, yeah, I, I thought the Royals were going to use him. I don't know. I, I love the upside for Stalmont. When he's good, he's good. But the Royals do make a convincing argument for why they should start the season in Omaha. And basically the theme for all three of these guys, because also including Richard Lovelady, who I did not have starting on opening day. I I know people love Lovelady and I I and I like I I'm a Lovelady enjoyer myself, but he, like when was the last time he even played in the major leagues? It's been forever. And so the theme for all three of these guys is building up arm strength. All three of these guys were injured in some capacity last year. So the Royals want them to be building arm strength. They're probably going to be doing that by just simply getting more reps in Omaha. By that, I mean the Royals are probably going to treat these guys like the high-end guys in Omaha. Because, you know, I, I don't really know what the Omaha bullpen is going to look like specifically. I wrote down, like, you know, Love Lady, Snyder, Quas. Uh, Mike Mayers, Brooks Krisky, Nick Whitgren, uh, Alec Marsh, although is, is Marsh injured? I forgot, whatever. There's like a lot of, there are a lot of guys here. There are just lots of like random guys in here and also the, all those starters that we have. Although actually, I don't know why they'd be in the bullpen if they're starters. Never mind. Um, point is, the these three guys, Love Lady, Taylor, and um Stalmont, they're they're gonna be they're gonna be the high end guys. They're gonna be the seven, eight, nine, they're gonna be the the HDH of the Omaha Storm Chasers. Because in Kansas City, we already have the high end guys. So we have Scott Barlow, who's basically the, the, the guaranteed closer, the definitive closer, Dylan Coleman, great setup guy, great late inning guy, and we've got Eraldus Chapman and Amir Garrett. I'm not necessarily saying these are the best relievers that we have, but they are on one-year deals, essentially. I think that the Royals are going to do whatever they can to make sure these guys are getting into games and they're accumulating value. I think that the Royals really want these guys to have at least 30 starts, or not 30 starts, but 30 appearances by the All-Star break. So they're probably going to be slotted into games, maybe when we don't really want to see them, but the Royals are just going to like wheel them out because they're like, hey, we need these guys to get traded. We need these guys to have value. So they're going to be the, the, the higher end guys. They're going to be the higher leverage guys. And other guys who I guess you could say, I, I, I guess at, I think at this point, Jose Quas and, and um, Taylor Clark are going to be in the bullpen on opening day. Those guys are going to be the lower end guys. They're going to be the guys who are just 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 guys. They're just arms. They're going to be the middle relief guys who just kind of appear once every three or four days. That's not what they want for Lovelady or Taylor or Stamont. I think they think highly of these guys, and so they're going to give them the the option to build up strength in Omaha, get them into games much more often in Omaha. So it did surprise me seeing this at first, but 
as usual, the royals are continue the royals continue to make decisions and actually have reasons for it. It's not going to be like 2021 Mike Matheny sitting Edward Olivares down and showing him the roster and explaining why he doesn't fit on the roster like like he's stupid. I have no idea how that conversation would have went. Probably wasn't very pleasant or comfortable, but <laughs> uh, what a, what a weird time that was. Feels like ancient history. I wish it was ancient history so that I wouldn't have been alive to see it. I didn't mean that in a really grim way. Anyway, so I'm going to rework my opening day bullpen, and I'm going to assume it's going to be Barlow, Coleman, Chapman, Garrett, Yarbrough, Quas, Clark, and I guess Snyder. I'm not really a fan of Snyder, but I haven't really heard anything about anybody else, and he's another guy with options. And, you know, it was supposed to be either Lynch or Bubich, but Lynch is on the IL starting the season. So whatever it is, I'm sure the last person on this list isn't going to be on. They're not going to be on the Kansas City squad for uh, very long, I don't think. I don't know. There are lots of guys. There are lots of options. We've already kind of talked about this. Anyway, let's move on. Um, There's a different thing, a different happening going on. it was John Heyman who said that he has been hearing rumors of Jackie Bradley Jr. making the opening day roster for the Royals. And this has been a bit of a stir in the community because this is not a very popular decision. This is a very this is being this is being called into question quite a bit, which I don't blame people for because it is very easy to Look at the offensive numbers for JBJ and they and think, wow, <laughs> that, that that's unfortunate. Like Royals really love guys who just can't hit whatsoever, but they can play the outfield pretty well. I guess this is going to be the Billy Hamilton of 2022. It looks like. I'm not so cynical about it. You know, I have been defending JBJ a little bit on this podcast. I did have him on my opening day projected roster, and I stand by it. I think that JBJ is going to be a solid defensive backup, and I really do mean backup. I really mean, like, he's going to come in late into games, maybe occasionally make a start if the Royals really want to emphasize a, a defensive outfield. I think an outfield with JBJ, Isbell, and Eaton, or actually... Okay, it would be like, I don't know who would play left or right field, but JBJ would be the center fielder. He, he's he's the best defensive center fielder on the team. Kyle Isbell can play center fielder, but maybe not like good enough to to keep with it every day. Maybe let's put it let, let's let's put it this way. The way I see it, Kyle Isbell is Lorenzo Cain. JBJ is Gerard Dyson. Okay, so remember back in twenty whatever teen. And Lorenzo Cain would be great in center field, but we'd also have Gerard Dyson, and he was, like, amazing in center field. So there would be lots of times when Locane moves to right field, and then Dyson plays center fielder. That's what I see the Royals doing with JBJ. Now, I don't think that JBJ is going to play as much as Gerard Dyson did. Gerard Dyson played, like, 100 games a season because his bat wasn't completely dead in the lineup. But that's kind of what I see the Royals doing in a, uh, in a smaller way. 
They're going to they're gonna have JBJ play center field as a defensive first guy. Late in games, maybe occasionally starting. And I think that's a role that is fine for him to have because you don't want to give a young player that role. You don't want to call someone up to the major leagues and give him a backup role. Because right now, we're not really at the point where really anybody is set in stone for the outfield. Like, like the outfielders that we have, and I, and I think the ones that we're carrying into opening day are MJ Melendez, technically, even though the, the Royals want to move him around into catcher as well, Kyle Isbell, Nate Eaton, and Edward Olivares. And, okay, Hunter Dozier, if you want to count him as well. And the thing, But the thing is, aside from MJ, there's no one who has really shown that they're going to be like a regular guy on this team. Like we don't, we really don't know. Like I, I think Izzy is a great defender. I, I like him a lot, but he hasn't hit. He hasn't hit a lot. Hit, he, he hit almost, he barely hit 200 last season and he played a hundred games. You know, I was kind of thinking, Hey, you know, Isbell hasn't hit yet, but we just haven't really given him a proper opportunity. He hasn't really been given a fair chance. But then I actually see he had over 250 plate appearances last year. He, he appeared in over 100 games last year. He did not get a small amount of playing time. Should he have gotten more? Yes, I agree. There, and there, there definitely were times last season when Isbell was treated incredibly unfairly, like in April. Like he, he stayed on the major league roster for like the entirety of April and just never played. He would go, there would literally be weeks where Kyle Isbell was on the active roster and not appearing at all. And it was very, very weird. And then finally, eventually, they sent him down to the to AAA, and Mike Matheny was like, "Oh yeah, he wasn't. We, 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 he just wasn't getting many at bats." Oh really? Thank you, Mike Matheny, great wise manager, Mike Matheny. I wonder why that happened. So mysterious. Who could have been responsible for that? There's also uh, Edward Olivares, who is who has a lot of hype in the community, but he also hasn't really shown that he can actually stick to the majors. You know, last year he off, he got he got off to a really really great start, but then he cooled down a lot. You know, can he actually hit well enough to make up for the fact that he's not a very good defender? Because he he's he's really not a very good defender. I don't know. And sure, Edward Olivares is definitely a guy that has not been given a, a fair chance in Kansas City. I would absolutely agree with that. But what if he isn't a guy? What if he's just another kind of mean player you know like like someone who just comes up to the majors does something pretty amazing but then falls off really quickly like paulo orlando did what if edward olivares is the next paulo orlando maybe he is good but maybe he isn't we don't know and nate eaton love that guy great glove fantastic best arm in the majors probably can he hit well enough to actually stick in the lineup, though? Can he be a regular player, or is he just a backup? We don't know. But we can't treat him like a backup right now, because that just wouldn't be fair. And then, of course, there's MJ. But MJ's going to be moving to catcher a lot anyway. So, the way I see it, there are guys that have an opportunity to be a regular. And I, and I feel like the Royals are going to give them the opportunities they need. I've, I've already, I've, I see some people who are, again, cynical about that. They're like, oh, so much for Kyle Isbell. His career is over. But, like, look, last year, yeah, I agree. 
these guys have been mishandled, but new people in charge, new philosophy. I don't think that Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be getting starts as as often as Michael A. Taylor did. And, you know, just taking away from whatever young guy that we should be looking at extensively to see if they're going to be a valuable player for the next five years on the Kansas City Royals. But I also don't think a guy who's only going to get, you know, one at bat late in a game and maybe one or two starts a week. I don't think that guy should be someone who is young and doesn't have a lot of experience in the majors and has a lot to prove. Like Tucker Bradley, for example, Drew Waters when he comes back up. And that's why Jackie Bradley Jr. is on this roster. I'm I hope I'm right on that. If if we're in May and you know JBJ has played like 40 games and he's he has like the most at bats on the season, you can all come back to me and be like, Mr. Deluxe Podcast, you freaking idiot, you told us. And then I will apologize. I'm I'm very sorry. Oh, by the way, also Franmil Reyes is technically an outfielder. You don't want him in the outfield. It's not, it's, it's not worth it. I hope he only DHs. All right, so enough of that crapola. Let's get into the main topic at hand, which is talking about old news in the past. So, 2022. What, what, what a year. <laughs> right, guys? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at each player. I'm not going to... I'm going to try not to give them like a super extensive look. I'll just kind of say, hey, here's what this guy did in 2022. And uh, although I don't think I have any like things to prove like what expectations were, I can try, I can kind of try guessing what expectations were or what they should have done this season. I'll, and I'll basically just say, I'll give them a grade, like a regular school grade, say how well was this player? How did they do in 2022? And I'm also going to give my expectation for them in 2023. Expectations will, of course, vary from player to player. Some guys have really high expectations. Some players are, you know, just there and expectations won't be super high. And I guess the grades will be relative to that as well. If it's a guy that I wasn't really expecting anything from and they did something pretty cool, it's like, oh, this guy's going to get a high grade. I'm going to give them a, a super A+. Plus. It's a new grade I invented. No, no one's getting a super A+. Plus in this. Sorry. Um, but if it's someone that's like, hey, this was supposed to be someone we really wanted to contribute to this team significantly, and they totally did not do that, big F for them, then yeah, that's pretty self-explanatory, I think. Obviously, players that are not on the roster anymore will not have expectations because they are not here to fulfill their expectations. And also, players who have played fewer than 15 games for for for, for for hitters, anybody who's played fewer than 15 games is not going to count. It's actually 15 or fewer because Mondesi played exactly 15 and I was thinking about grading him, but I'm like, eh. He... Like, his season was disappointing, but he didn't really get to redeem it. Like, he literally just didn't play, so I can't really grade that. And similarly, similarly pitchers who have pitched fewer than 20 innings are not going to be considered. Um, I'll just say... It, it, it's it's pretty rough for the pitchers. It's it's not looking good for the pitchers. So you can probably guess what I feel about anybody who pitched fewer than twenty innings. I'll I'll, I'll give you some of the names: Luke Weaver, 
Jackson Kowar. Whit Merrifield. Actually, he didn't pitch for the Royals, but he's listed on here, which is like a weird technicality. Whatever. Anyway, let me show you exactly what I mean with what I'm doing in this episode, what I'm doing with this discussion by grading the first player, the most famous player, the most iconic player on the current Kansas City Royals, Salvador Perez. I think we should start at home plate and then go around the diamond, then go into the outfield, and then look at the pitchers starting with the starters, then going to the bullpen. So, Salvador Perez. Now, Salvi, obviously he wasn't going to hit 48 home runs. In fact, I think even more so than the 48 home runs and the 121 RBIs, the most impressive thing about Salvi's 2021 is that he played 161 games. That is insane. (laughs) Bro just went full goblin mode in 2021. So obviously he wasn't going to replicate that, but I still think that there's reasonable expectation for him to hit like 30 home runs in a season. He just has, he just has mammoth power. He'll just swing the bat and boom, it's in the fountain suddenly. It's, it's, it's easy to him. It's natural to him. He's a very unique hitter. He's not going to walk. You can't make him walk. You can't make him not strike out a ton. Um, but he'll at least give you that power. His defense is questionable. Sure. But Salvi, for me, he's just that guy. He's hard to disappoint. So I think my expectations were somewhere around the lines of, you know, you know, maybe play every day, hopefully, and hit 30 home runs. Now, unfortunately, Salvi was injured. And Salvi, there, there's always some kind of injury with him. Like every season he gets injured except 2021. And usually it's some freaking weird injury, like something stupid, like 2020, where he just had like, blurry vision like fluid got in in his eye or something something completely weird and no one had it had a clear explanation for it and everyone and they were just like it could be yeah it'll probably go away (laughs) hopefully it'll go away at some point it's like okay what (laughs) anyway that's just like who salvi is sometimes so yeah, he he had a big injury year, only played 114 games, which for him is actually really low. That is like maybe the lowest percentage of games in his entire career to this point, actually, at least since sticking to the majors. But for what it's worth, when he played, he was good. Like he he kind of went back to like 2017 and before Salvi. He went back to like mid 2017 or mid mid 2010s Salvi, where he's putting up a respectable batting average. Obviously, the on base is going to be super low, but at, at least now he has he has a lot more power. So 23 home runs in 114 games. That's not 48 home run pace anymore. It's in fact again, it's like. It's basically the same pace as 2017 and 2018. Just about 5% of his at-bats turned into home runs. So that power gives him a 110 OPS plus despite the super low on-base percentage. I know people hate that, but I like it. I th- I like I like how unique Salvi is as a hitter in today's game. And so overall, I'm going to give Salvi a B. I'm going to give him a B. I think he was just all right. He had a he had a somewhat passable year. 
you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dock points on a guy for getting injured. That just happens. So I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, Salvi didn't play some games. F, just no, I'm not going to be a dick like that. I think as long as he's a productive hitter in this lineup, I'll be happy. I know his pitch framing isn't good, but he still does pretty well with the base stealing sort of thing. Although that will be an interesting test this year. And, and by basically, I mean at throwing out runners and blocking the plate as well. And uh, yeah, anyway, that's going to be a really, this is going to be a really interesting year because people are expecting stolen bases to go way up this season. So I think this is something that might really show how much Salvi has aged because, you know, back in the day, he was very, very hard to steal on. And I feel like it's gotten a little bit easier. Hopefully he'll be able to keep throwing out base runners this season. So I'm giving him a B grade overall. My expectation is that I hope he plays 120 plus games. Again, though, if he you know gets injured, there's nothing we can really do about that. But if he does um, play that many games, 30 plus home runs. I think he can have another 30 home run season. I think that's very well within it reason for him. Next up, another catcher, MJ Melendez. So MJ came up about well, not even halfway through the season, like a little earlier than that. He came up in May. Um, I think it was because Salvi and Cam were both injured. And, you know, the, the defense for MJ Melendez was alarmingly bad. Statcast introduced a new measure, a new uh, metric called blocks above average, which is basically like how well a catcher is able to keep the pitch relatively around the plate or whatever, you know, prevent it from getting behind the catcher, uh, even if it's, you know, not a very good pitch, even if it's well outside the strike zone, so, sort of something like that. So like Adley Rutschman is number one with 18 so he's basically getting 18 more pitches than usual. MJ Melendez was dead last with negative 25. And then second to last was negative 11. <laughs> and the thing is, MJ did this with probably significantly fewer games played than most of these guys. He, he played 78 games at catcher. And he <laughs> negative 25 blocks per around average. I don't really entirely know how it works because, you know, it's a very, very new thing. But still, it basically says, this guy sucks. <laughs> so that's not very good. But I have been a little sympathetic towards him because he comes up to the major leagues. He's been a catcher his entire life. And then suddenly he's told to go play left field. He's told to go learn an entirely new position. And it's like, okay, <laughs> cool fun just with well within expectations right well within reason so i think he was maybe kind of blindsided by that um i think he was maybe thrown around with different positions a little too much and there is one thing i will give him praise for and it's that he had a pretty heavy workload at times because he was you know covering for injury or just given more opportunities in general more opportunities to get his bat in the lineup, but sometimes he did have to cover for injury. That was um, the case on May 17th. He caught both games of a doubleheader and he caught all nine innings of both games of a doubleheader. Like, like he not only would, you know, just come in and catch, but what he caught, he would catch the entire game. 
Like, he was never substituted. I'm looking at his game logs for 2022, and all of it is just CG, 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 CG. Like, he, he would start a game and play the entire game, whether he was catching or not. I mean, obviously, he had some games where he was playing the outfield, some games he was DHing, but, like, the Royals didn't let up with opportunities, for better or for worse. I'm I'm personally impressed that he was able to, you know, stick with it, that he didn't seem to wear down too much over the course of the season. And, of course, if his glove wasn't particularly great, I do think that his bat was solid. It, by OPS+, Plus, it was only 99. The numbers don't, like, pop off the page or anything. It's 217 batting average, 3, 313 on base. But, actually, the fact that he did post an on base almost 100 points higher than his batting average, I think, does say something. I think that MJ Melendez has one of the best approaches to the plate that this team has. I think that he can be, I think that he probably would be an on-base leader if, you know, not for Vinny Pasquantino. I think if he were to hit like 240 or 250 and, you know, he continues to have an on-base above that, then yeah, he's only going to be matched by guys with like really high batting averages like Vinny, who I think is going to be like a He's probably going to have post like a 400 on base or something because, you know, he's already going to be hitting 300. It's probably not going to be that hard for him. But this is to say that, you know, MJ, I don't think is going to be a guy who hits a lot. He's probably going to hit like 230 or 240. I think a good season for him would be hitting 250. But I think that he can be a guy that puts an on base way higher. I think that he can be either a middle-of-the-order power bat because he, he definitely has power. I see 30 home run seasons in his future. Uh, so he can be like your number five guy or he could even be your leadoff guy. Just be a guy who wear, wears down pitchers by looking at bad pitches and go, and drawing walks. And the Royals did use him in the leadoff spot a lot. So not only is he you know playing a lot of games, not only is he completing games, but he would also be getting the most at-bats in games. So, let it be known, even if I am critical of MJ Melendez, I care and I am impressed by what he has shown. I'm not going to let his good traits be outshined by his bad traits. I think the dude works incredibly hard. I hope he's I hope he will continue to improve and I I see great things in his future. So, overall, I'm giving him a B. I think that he was solid. I think he at least met expectations. Some things he wasn't so good at, some things he exceeded in. So overall, he gets a B. And my expectation for him in 2023, improved defensively. That could be a catcher, that could be in the outfield, doesn't matter. Improved defensively. And then I'd like him to hit greater or equal to 230 with an on-base on percentage around 100 points higher. I think if he gets that done, he's in business. All right. Now, I, not all of these reports are going to be as long, obviously, because next we have Cam Gallagher. Cam Gallagher is someone that I've really enjoyed in the past. I actually thought he was getting, you know, his bat was getting a lot better starting in like 2020. Um, turns out that didn't really last very long. And not only did he not really get many opportunities in KC in this in 2022, kind of because we started to get younger guys up there. But I don't know. He just didn't, he just didn't really do much of anything. Um, I do think that he is a very, very good defensive catcher. The metrics on him are, have always been really, really good. Um, and I've always seen him as kind of a head-down, hard-working kind of guy, which makes me respect him a lot. 
but he was also one of the uh, the Forbidden Ten that did not go into Toronto last year, and that definitely soured lots of opinions on him. And then he just kind of got unceremoniously traded for basically no one. Who did he even get traded for? I forgot. He got traded for uh, the guy who played like two games. It was Brent Rooker, who was already off the roster. Yeah. Pretty unceremonious end to someone who I thought was a very, very respectable backup catcher. I was hoping like long term he could be maybe a little bit more than a backup catcher. Because again, like 2020, he started to hit pretty well. And I'm like, man, if he's actually hitting, he could be a regular catcher for some teams. That would be awesome. So I I'm, I guess I'm not really grading Cam Gallagher based on his 2022 because he didn't really do much in 2022. It's more like long term. And overall, I'm going to give him like a C just to see because I guess expectations for him weren't ever really all that high, but it was just kind of forgettable. It, it, just just forgettable overall. Uh, I wish him the best. Hope he's hope he continues to get gigs around the major leagues because I do think that he's a good enough defensive catcher to you know stick somewhere and help a little bit. But yeah, so no expectations for him in 2023 because he's not on the Royals anymore. Same with Sebastian Rivero who I just kind of wrote down C. At first, I wasn't going to grade him because I thought he was brand new last year, but he actually did play in 2021 a little bit. Um, but he hasn't really, he didn't really do anything in either season. I don't know if he was like a particularly good defensive catcher or not. He definitely wasn't, he definitely wasn't a good hitter, um, you know, hitting like 150 both times, even if it was, you know, just a few games. But yeah, just nothing really to say, unfortunately. And he's no longer in the organization. He's with the White Sox now. Hope he's doing well with uh, Griffol and Tosar and, yeah, whoever else. Uh, I gave him a D. Just a D. By the way, some people might say D is a failing grade, and I guess maybe it is. My parents always treated it like a failing grade. Even if it was technically passing in school, my parents considered it to be a failure. Whatever. That's up to you, I guess. All right, we're out of the catchers. Let's go into first base with everyone's favorite royal, Hunter Dozier. He's listed as utility on baseball reference. That's cute. Hunter Dozier, you know, he could only go up from 2021 and, you know, credit to him, he improved. I don't know if you could say he halved his war or he doubled it because it was negative 2.5 in 2021, then negative 1.2 in 2022. Improvement! Stonks! Bye, bye, bye! Hunter Dozier Revenge Tour coming 2023. Um, so I think we all know what the deal is with this guy. He's literally the worst fielder in the major leagues. Doesn't matter what position it is. He's just really bad at playing it. And, you know, we've always been hoping that, you know, he'll get that bat turned back around. He'll get back to like 2019 Hunter Dozier, but it's seeming like it was a fluke more and more each season. Again, for what it's worth, he did improve in 2022. He posted a 91 OPS plus as opposed to the 83 that he had in 2021, but... Um, 91 OPS plus is definitely not cutting it for the worst fielder in the major leagues. And also someone who's making, uh, how much is he making? What's the payroll looking like this season? Uh, seven and a half million dollars this season. And also a guaranteed nine and a quarter million dollars next season. 
fool. Also, not to mention, he was one of the Forbidden Ten that didn't go to Toronto. So that kind of soured my opinion on him being, you know, the... And again, another hardworking guy for the for the Royals that everyone loves because he's you know such he he's a guy he's a real he's a real guy he'll do anything for the team except play in Toronto. So Hunter Dozier, I'm gonna give him a D plus, a D plus. If, again, you can count that as a as a passing grade if you really want to. If your heart's really into it, I'm just kind of being cheeky. For, I don't even know if D plus is a real grade. <laughs> I think I always remembered it as just D, but uh, D for Dozier. There we go. Um, yeah, just a, just a D plus because, hey, he improved. Whoa. So expectation for 2023, 1.0 war. That's what I want for Hunter Dozier. If he improve, if he gets a positive war, then hey, he'll be he'll have improved by like two war. That would be amazing. He'll he'll yeah get back to like a one ten OPS plus. We're in business, baby. Next is Carlos Santana. So he was very interesting to watch in twenty twenty two. He had an absolutely abysmal start. To 2022, he was hitting 086. 086 in the first couple weeks of the season. But then he started to turn it on. Then he started to turn it on, and people were and we were like, oh man, wait a minute. Hang on. Is Carlos Santana back? The 41 games after that, he hit 248 with a 373 on base, which actually is like regular Carlos Santana numbers. So yeah, pretty cool. And then he got traded to Seattle. So we didn't have to worry about it ever again. And then he basically fell off again after that. He hit 192 uh, with a 293 on base in Seattle. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we got rid of that right when uh, the getting was good. So, cool. Good job, I guess. Good job by J.J. Piccolo making basically an early trade. I think trading him... Yeah, trading him at the end of June as opposed to waiting for the deadline. If he waited another month, maybe that same trade wouldn't have happened. Who did we get for him? I don't know. Does it freaking matter? <laughs> we got Wyatt Mills and William Fleming. I like the name Fleming. That's pretty cool. Uh, he has a 5 ERA in the minors, though, so we'll probably never speak his name ever again. Okay, point is, back to Carlos Santana. He had a very, very strange season. Um, but hey, he was able to get traded. So he, so he, it started terribly, but he was able to play his way into a trade, and that opened the door for Vinny Pasquantino. So cool, good job, Carlos. I'm gonna give him a C minus. He just barely passed because he was able to get traded. Maybe it wasn't worth it. Maybe it was. Maybe it would have just been better to cut him at the beginning of May or something. I don't know. Whatever, but it is what it is, I guess. Speaking of, though, speaking of, Vinny Pasquantino, who I'm going to, you know, I don't know. I was trying to, like, come up with some shiny, sparkly, sleek little uh, transition into this or, like, give you a, a nice, cool buildup. I'll just say it. Vinny Pasquantino is him. He is him. A+. plus. Vinny gets an A-plus, top of the class. He is the one. 
the chosen one. He is him. He was probably the most hyped call-up of the season. I'm not counting Bobby Wood Jr. because he wasn't really a call-up because it was because he, he played on opening day. I guess technically it is a call-up, but I mean like a mid-season call-up. And that's because, you know, Carlos Santana wasn't good, and we're like, hey, knock, knock, Mr. Piccolo, we have a good first baseman in the minors. He's better than Carlos Santana. Why isn't he playing? You know, they he, he, he teased us a long time. He danced around it for a long time, but finally he's like, okay, we'll, we'll give you Vinny Pasquantino. Oh, God. And, man, Vinny absolutely lived up to the hype, and then some, I think. Like, I think we all expected him to be a pretty good hitter. Did we expect him to walk more than he struck out? Did we expect him to be the literal best hitter in the lineup? Vinny Pasquantino, even though it's only 72 games, so small sample size, less than half a season technically, posted an OPS plus of 135. Or, if you prefer using Work Plus, which is what I call Weighted Ones Created Plus, it was 137. Which, this is, these are both metrics that kind of grade a hitter based on, like, everything they do and compares it to the league average and also compares it to, like, it also factors in, like, park conditions, things like that. So, 135 or 137, that's basically saying 35% or 37% better than the league average hitter. So using that 137 work plus, that would rank him, if he if he qualified as a hitter, that would put him tied for 21st with Jose Abreu and Taylor Ward. And that would put him above Alex Bregman, Brandon Nimmo, Xander Bogarts, Anthony Rizzo, George Springer, Vlad Jr., he had a down year, Luisa Rise, and then some. Trey Turner, JT Real Muto, Steven Kwan, lots of really, really good hitters that Vinny was technically better than. What? What? In his, in his debut season. Th- that was technically year zero because of the way service time works. Yeah, he's not even on like the, he, he, the six-year clock technically starts this season. <laughs> So we got that year for free, basically. Man. Something fell over, sorry. He could not. Like, like quite literally, he could not have made a better first impression. And there, and it's not even just that, but he also looks pretty great defensively. The metrics don't like him. I think this might be like the Eric Hosmer effect where he looks great. He's, at, he, he's surprisingly athletic around first base. He splits. He stretches. He makes great grabs, great picks. But again... Metrics don't really account for that, I guess. And also, he's just the guy people really like being around. He's a, he's a funny guy. He's a normal guy. You know, I think that in baseball, since everyone makes like $6 trillion playing baseball, it is really important to have some of those players just be like regular guys. You know, they have like the, those... They're those down-to-earth guys, like like Joey Votto. You know, there's there's this big thing about how Joey Votto is like a, an avid chess player. Like he goes to to chess meetups weekly in Cincinnati, and it's awesome. And it's like, oh, 
Oh, this guy who makes like $23 million a year playing baseball. He's actually just like a totally normal dude who just happens to have this job or something like that. And that's kind of what Vinny is. He's getting around in the media a lot. He's really active on social media. He's just he's just getting a lot of coverage and people just like talking to him. It's really enjoying him. It's really it's really enjoy it's really enjoyable to just see him interacting with different players and and media guys and it, it's it's just awesome. He's just that guy who is who who just adds a lot of chemistry and a lot of personality to the clubhouse to this team and that's awesome. Vinny Pasquantino goes above and beyond. At least that's what he did in 2022. I am super, super happy to have him on my team. I am really, really looking forward to seeing what he will do going forward. A plus, my expectation for him in 2023 is have an OPS plus of 125 or greater, which is something he's already doing. Um, Well, technically not already because it's not 2023, but he already did that last year. I just want him to do that for a full season, basically. And also, if if he doesn't meet that, I would at least like him to have the highest OPS on the team. That's like an alternative condition if he, for some reason he misses that. Although, if he has like a 120 OPS plus and that's the highest on the team, that might be an issue, but I don't know. All right, moving on. Nick Prato. So Nick Prato came up um, a little later in the season, and he was someone who was, he was part of that power four, the core four prospects we had. Last year, Bobby, Vinny, MJ, and Prato. And um, unfortunately, he didn't get off to a particularly great start. 49 games, 184 average, with a 271 on base, which is kind of cool, but 66 strikeouts. He struck out 36% of the time. He's always he's going to be a guy who strikes out a lot, Um but it makes sense that there's the, 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 that the Royals are going to have him in the minors to start the season at the very least. Um, so overall, I'm going to give him a C plus. I'm not going to like I'm not going to give him like a super hard knock because you know he was just a rookie. Some guys just come up and they struggle a little bit. It, it happens. It's totally normal. Um, what I would like for him this season, and and again, this is assuming he's in the major leagues. Although I guess you could say this also applies to Omaha. Is that I want him to get his strikeout rate under thirty percent. I think that's kind of like a mandatory thing he needs to do if he wants to be a productive major league player, especially a first baseman. Keep that in mind. He's a first baseman, so this is a this is an offensive heavy position. Even though he does play it very very well defensively. And he he and even offensively he had his moments as well, so that's fine. I'm I'm not like super worried about Prado, but it do, it does need to happen. He needs to cut down his strikeouts, and I'd also like to like him to hit over 220, just to start with. That's not ideal, but for where he is right now, that is what I want to see from him this season. But also, uh, rem- remember when I said everyone's favorite Royal was Hunter Dozier? I lied. We got to talk about our actual favorite Royal. Ryan O'Hearn, baby! <laughs> this is probably the last time we will ever talk about Ryan O'Hearn on this podcast. Ryan O'Hearn has been the subject of ire among Royals fans. He's kind of been the the punching bag for all Royals fans. Whenever something bad has happened to the Royals, it's his fault. Some of which he's deserved because he doesn't play particularly well. 67 games, 145 plate appearances. 
239 average, 290 on base, OPS plus of 73, which is technically an improvement of 2021 and also an improvement of 2020. Woo! But there is something that I do give O'Hearn credit for, which is that he is that head down, hardworking kind of guy that, you know, the Royals like a little bit too much, but I still, I've always respected him for being the guy that, you know, he just works and he doesn't complain. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't demand a whole lot. He's maybe joked a little bit about all the crap he gets on social media, which is, uh, which, you know, is fair. He, he doesn't deserve that. It's not, it's not nice to go on Twitter and tell him he sucks or something like that. That's always childish. It's ridiculous, really. He seems like an all right guy, is what I'm saying. And hey, he wasn't part of the Forbidden Ten. He actually did go to Toronto. That was nice. He's, as far as I'm concerned, he's done what was asked of him. He obviously didn't excel, but he at least tried to. And I appreciate that. I respect that. Does that give him any extra bonus points? Does that give him a good grade? No, I'm giving him a C minus. I, I actually maybe I am giving him extra points. Maybe I am maybe I am grading him with a little bit of a curve because maybe he doesn't deserve a C minus. Maybe it should have been worse than that, but I don't know. I have no ill will towards Ryan O'Hearn. I wish him all the best. He's hitting really well in spring training. He hit three seventy eight. I don't know. Maybe he'll maybe we'll see him when we play the Orioles at some point this season. That would be funny. Okay, Memorial over. Next, Nikki Lopez. Now, Nikki had a fantastic 2021. He was like a five-war player in 2021. He hit 300 and he put up amazing defense at shortstop. He was super snubbed for the Gold Glove that year. Well, 2022, his defense wasn't quite as good. In fact, Baseball reference is giving him negative value defensively. Fangraphs is probably nicer to him. Yeah, it totally is. Fangraphs actually says he was a positive war player. Exclusively based on the defense, though, because the bat disappeared on him in 2022. He went back to being basically non-2021 Nicky Lopez. Like, like, Nicky Lopez had, had a career OPS in the 50s, except for 2021, where it was 104. Well, it was 58 in 2022. He does not hit. Um, you know, you would at least hope that he, he could be just this crazy slap hitter who just slaps singles all over the place. He doesn't have any power whatsoever. And so my expectation for him in 2023 might be a little bit cheeky. It might be in, an impossibility, but I'm still going to say it. But yeah, it's... It's a little bit worrying seeing him not hit really at all. It's not even like he's just a not very good hitter. It's like he's practically an unusable hitter. So at least he does have the glove. Um, he is still capable of making amazing plays. He could maybe still be a bench player. And hey, for what it's worth, even if his performance on the field hasn't been great, he has at least made up for it some by being a great clubhouse guy. Not even necessarily a leader because he's too young to be a leader and doesn't have like that much experience compared to everyone else. But I think he's he's trying to be the guy that's just cool with everyone. And he's kind of just trying to bring everyone together, I think. And I think he's done a great job at that. And that seems to also be the role he played in Italy. 
uh, when he played for the World Baseball Classic. But he actually did quite well in that, which is pretty cool. On a personal level, I am a fan of Nicky Lopez, and I want him to succeed. Unfortunately, he did not in 2022. I'm going to give him a C-. minus. I don't want to completely fail him because there were some things that he did fairly well, but he's definitely going to have to step it up offensively if he wants to really continue playing in the major leagues, at least for the Royals, because if he doesn't hit, then you do have to wonder if the Royals are going to consider keeping him around, especially that now that he's in his arbitration year. So C minus expectations for him hit five home runs. Like I said, this might be impossible. This might be too much, but I don't know if he can do something else offensively. That would be cool. Michael Massey is next, and this he was hard to grade because there just wasn't anything about him that was like a standout sort of thing. Like there's nothing I can really highlight and say, oh yeah, this was like a, 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 a particular aspect to his game. Um, 52 games, 243 average, 307 on base. Uh, he hit four home runs, so the slugging is down, but, you know, he was a rookie. I'm not going to get worried about that. 93 OPS plus, um, just okay defensively at second. He played a little bit of third. He played one game at third base. Um, maybe it would be to fit the Royals to try him out there a little bit. You know, I I think I trust Michael Massey at third base more than I trust Hunter Dozier at third base, personally. I don't know, just in my opinion. So I don't know. It just, it just seems like all around, Michael Massey was very, very okay. He was just kind of there, but in a good way. He wasn't like a negative player or anything. Actually, Baseball Reference says he was like a top 10 player on the team. Technically, technically 11th in terms of war. 0.8. Amazing. Um, so overall, I'm just going to give him a B. I feel like whatever the expectation was for him, you know, a guy just coming up to the major leagues, he met expectations. So there we go. Expectations in 2023. I'm going to say hit over 250 and um, post 33%. What 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 did I write here? I, I have to decipher this. I have to decipher my own notes. Oh, I said post a walk rate higher than 5%. Okay. Yeah, his walk rate was 4.6%. That is quite low. So, if, yeah, if he can get that to 5% or higher, that would be pretty cool. And strikeouts, strikeout less than 25% of the time, which he was already kind of doing. His strikeouts are 23.7%. I do think that these numbers can be improved, though, especially for a second baseman. Next, speaking of second baseman, if you want to call him a second baseman, I don't even say that to be mean. It's just with that it's Whit Merrifield who plays the outfield a lot. Technically, he actually played the outfield one more game than he played second base. Uh, he played uh, 23 games in the outfield. For the, oh, wait, that's for the for the Blue Jays. Never mind. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm freaking stupid. He played 61 games for, at second base for the Royals in 2022. For the outfield, he played 39. So actually, yeah, he was totally a second baseman for the Royals in 2022. Anyway, point is, Whit Merrifield... Man. Man. Whit Merrifield. You know, I really, really do like the guy. I do respect him. He's someone that I've really enjoyed watching on some terrible, terrible baseball teams. And he had such a crushingly disappointing end 
to his tenure with the Royals. I mean, like, the worst possible ending that I think a player can possibly have. Not only is he having, the by far, like by a significant margin, the worst year of his career, but then he basically flips the finger off. Gives the, he basically gives the finger to everybody on his way out. <laughs> it was very, very bad. It was ugly. And then immediately when he leaves, his numbers pop back up. I don't know if anybody noticed, but for Toronto, he hit 281 with a 323 on base. Like, he literally went back to his career norms in Toronto. So when he said that he would consider getting vaccinated if he was playing for a playoff team, he 1,000% meant that, dude. He, he, he was done with the Royals. He was done done with us. I can't say I blame him too much, though, because playing for the Royals probably hasn't been very fun. You've been a, he's been a great player, but hasn't really been recognized as one super well. Although he, he made two All-Star games for us, so that's cool. But still, no fun playing for nothing, basically. And he took a discount to stick with us. I do think that Whit Merrifield genuinely believed that Dayton Moore was building a team around him. I think we all kind of believe that in some way, and maybe he does feel slighted by that. Maybe he, maybe he, maybe he is really disappointed with how things have turned out. And yeah, makes the two of us, buddy. But still, it was a really, really nasty end to his tenure with the Royals. I still wish him all the best. Um, I would. I, I don't have like super hard feelings about him. It's just like, like I, I wish it didn't happen. I wish it didn't end the way it did. But I get it. Like, I understand it. I understand how he feels if the way I'm interpreting everything is, you know, correct. Although, that being said, it should be worth mentioning that the team kind of took on a bit of a personality shift. Things just kind of changed all around when Whit Merrifield left. I don't know if that's worth mentioning, but I mentioned it. Does it mean anything? What do I know? I'm just a guy on the internet with a microphone. But in any case, I'm supposed to be grading these players. I was just kind of talking about what happened last year. Um, I'm giving Whit Merrifield an F. I'm just going to do it. It was disappointing seeing him this season. He played bad, and then he went out in a really bad way. He got better after he left. Good for him, but I'm not rating him. I'm not, I'm not grading him based on what he did for other teams. I'm grading it based on what he did for the Royals. I do wish him all the best, though, because, again, I enjoyed watching him play for a few years. And, you know, his talents deserve to go to a winning baseball team. I wish that was the Royals, but not his fault. Or was it? I'm just kidding. It wasn't his fault. Moving on, we've got the new guy, the new face of the franchise, Bobby Witt Jr., and I am pretty sure that when I did this sort of podcast around this time last year, my specific expectations for him were that I wanted him to recreate his rookie ball slash line. 2019, 37 games in, in rookie ball. He hit 262 with a 317 on base and a 354 slugging. Is that impressive? Not really. But for a first year guy, 
That is what I would want from him. That is what I would wa- that is what I wanted from his first major league season. Just figure it out a little bit. Just get your feet wet. I don't expect anything crazy, but I don't want him to have a bad season, obviously. So 262, 317, 354. For the Royals. In 2022, 150 games, he hit 254 with a 294 on base and a 428 slugging. So the batting average was off by eight points. The on base was off by like 30 points, but the slugging was up by like 70 points. So that was something he did way better than he did in rookie ball. I'm pretty sure I also said that if Bobby Witt Jr. puts up a two war season, I will be happy. Well, Fangraphs gives him 2.3 war. Was his season as explosive and exciting as Adley Rutschman's or Julio Rodriguez's or Stephen Kwan's? No. It was his defense, you know, great. No. But I didn't ask it to be. I didn't ask him to be that good. I just wanted him to be a competent player. I wasn't going to make any crazy extraneous demands just based on his just based on his pedigree. Obviously, if he got to that level, that would have been awesome. But I think that getting to that level so quickly is very very rare. You just can't expect or ask anybody to do that. So that's why I said I want him to basically have a slash line identical or very very similar to his rookie ball slash line and be a two war player. That is exactly what he did. And so I'm giving him a B plus. You were probably expecting me, me to give him an A. No, he didn't exceed expectations. I would say if he was a better defender, then yes, I would have given him, a, given him an A. But there are legitimate questions about his defense. Can those questions be answered in a positive way? Yes. I totally believe in Bobby Witt Jr., I absolutely think 100% every aspect of his game is going to get better. And so I am going to be giving him, I'm going to give him higher expectations this season. My expectations are higher fielding percentage, which was 959 at shortstop. And I also want him to walk more. I also want him to walk more than 7% of the time. I want him to be swinging less overall. He's going to strike out 25% of the time. That's just going to be the hitter he is. But he'll still hit 250 or better. He'll hit 30 home runs. I think that's totally possible. I'm not going to like demand all that right now, not right away. But I think that these things that I'm asking just feel better and walk more, totally within reason. And I think just those things are going to make him a much better player. Like seriously, even if if he was an okay fielder, I think he'd be a three plus WAR player as it is, just the way he's hitting. I like I think he was just very very raw as a player. And so I'm really really excited for his sophomore season. I think that just the experience he got last year is going to really really pay off this season and I think that we're in for something really really exciting. The best is yet to come. I don't even think we're close to seeing the best of Bobby Wood Jr. yet. All right, next. Uh it's Emmanuel Rivera. Oh. Oh. This guy, uh, Manuel Rivera, we uh, traded him for Luke Weaver. Ooh. Well, I don't know what's going to happen to him. 
do I believe he's a, like a good player long term? Not really, but still, was it a bad trade? Yeah. Actually, oh, Baseball Reference is actually listing Emmanuel Rivera as a minor league player. He got he got he got optioned. So I guess that answers the question of whether or not he's a good long term player. Diamondbacks don't seem to think so if they optioned him already. <laughs> well, whatever, that's their business. As for what he did with the Royals, he had some hot. He had like a hot start or something like that. Or actually, he had a pretty slow start, but then he hit 333 in July, and then the Royals immediately traded him for crap. I'm sorry, that was really mean to Luke Weaver. I'm just saying Luke Weaver was a not a good pitcher. But um, yeah, not great. And honestly, but like his numbers aren't amazing overall. 237 batting average, 284 on base. Uh, six home runs in 63 games, 91 OPS plus for the Royals. But honestly, was there any expectation for this guy? Like, like who even was he? He just kind of came out of nowhere and he was hitting a little bit. So, you know what? I'm going to give him a B plus just because there was either no expectation or expectations of him were so low that he was able to do something. He was able to get traded, even if it was a bad trade. That amounted to nothing because Luke Weaver is not in this organization anymore. It was something. So that's cool, I guess. I don't know if, you know, the trade was like so bad and that I wish he was still in the organization right now. But still, it was interesting, I guess. Congrats to him. Good luck to him in the future. All right, we're finally in the outfield now. Andrew Benintendi had a pretty solid year. I think the Royals made a very, very, I think it was a really, really good payoff for the Royals by uh, getting him in 2021, trading for him in 2021. I don't think we gave up a, a whole lot for him, and we were able to successfully reform him as a solid hitter. Maybe not like as great as he used to be in his earlier years, but he posted a a, 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 he put up a really, really good year in 2022. He put up the highest batting average in his career by far. He was he hit 320 in Kansas City, put up 124 OPS plus in Kansas City. Then he got traded to the Yankees, played about a month, and got injured. I don't know. Skill issue. I don't know what you want me to do about that. That's not my problem. Point is, Andrew Benintendi was very, very good for the Royals. Um... But for a good chunk of the season, he was the best hitter for the Royals, and he was able to play his way into a pretty solid trade. Uh, you know, we didn't get, like, high-end prospects from the Yankees, but we got three pitchers for him. I I, I like the bulk that we got for him. So, overall, I'm going to give Andrew Benintendi an A. I actually think that, he, that his season was literally, like, it was literally a best-case scenario. You know, for, for us to get him and for him to put up two two-plus war seasons for him to end up being a pretty hot commodity at a trade deadline. Yeah, I think that he did whatever was expected of him. I think he was a great acquisition by the Royals, and hopefully one of those pitchers that we got from him will be a hit, and then this will be even better. But even if not, he did everything he could, so I appreciate that. Although he didn't play in Toronto. Whatever. Next up is Michael A. Taylor, who I also think is kind of like a best-case scenario. We got him for like, I mean, I think he was just a free agent, but we signed him for a super, super small sum and then extended him again at a very, very low rate. And he 
kind of had like a career year offensively. I mean, he's never been a good hitter. His best year was 2017. He posted a 104 OPS plus. Aside from that, his career OPS plus is like in the 70s. And he put up a 90 OPS plus. Uh, hit 254. Again, almost his his highest average of his career. And also walked a lot more. Posted a 7.7% walk rate. That is the highest of his career. And also has cut down the strikeouts a little bit. Got a strikeout rate below 25%, which is the lowest in his career. So... Yeah, he was a uh, he improved quite a lot, and that's on top of playing plus defense in the in center field at Kauffman Stadium. So Michael A. Taylor was a three WAR player for the Royals last year. That is not like nothing. That's impressive, actually. That is nothing to sniff at. That is great. I do wish that he was able to hit a little better. Um, because I think that he was better in the first half of the season than the second half. Let me uh, get up the game logs. I'm pretty sure that, like, I'm just pretty sure that he was hitting better in the first half than he was in the second half. First half he hit, da, 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 da. I think I also got injured a little bit. He had 264 in the first half, 725 OPS, and then the second half it was uh, 243, 613 OPS. Ooh, yikes. Yeah, so he did kind of fall off a little bit and only played 124 games as opposed to 142 he played in 2021, although I guess that's not that bad of a thing if you know we wanted him to play less a little bit. But still, he was able to get traded in this offseason. So once again, I kind of think this was like the best case scenario for the Royals where they got a very, very low risk player and got something out of it, actually. So yeah, I'm going to give Michael A. Taylor an A-. minus, Just an A- minus because... The bat could have been a little better still if he was a little more consistent, but still, pretty good. No expectation, though, because he's not here anymore. All right, Kyle Isbell. So I already kind of ranted about Kyle Isbell. His bat has not come around, and I hope it does. Um, I'm going to give him a C for the season overall. Love the glove, but yeah, he definitely needs to hit a lot better. So my expectation for him is going to be hit 250. Hit 250 or above. That really should be a thing. Because he was supposed to be like a high contact guy when he was in the minors. I think that was like his his calling. Like he's not going to be like an amazing hitter or something like that. But he'll post respectable averages, I think. So, yeah, hit 250. And then right fielder, Edward Olivares. Uh, someone else who hasn't had like a particularly uh, fair chance for the Royals. And um, he definitely had a hot start. Like he was hitting, he was hitting almost 400 at one point. But then, you know, inevitably that cooled down. And uh, beyond that super hot stretch, he was actually not a super great hitter. I don't think he hit only um, 252. So he's definitely going to have to get that up if he wants to, you know, be a guy because he's not a good enough fielder to, you know, just stick it to the roster. So. I'm going to give Olivares a B plus just because that hot start at least made his stats a little bit better in the end. He overall, like his, his stats for the season looked good. It was 282, 286 with a 333 on base, 110 OPS plus still would like that to be a little bit better if he's going to be, you know, a, a negative defender. So what I want for him this season, 115 OPS plus maintain that that would be good. And then I'll be happy. And then I'll be like, okay, Edward Olivares is a regular player in, in MLB. 
Outfielder Nate Eaton, who's also listed as utility because he has actually played a little bit of third base as well. Um, and I think that he's going to be a defensive first guy no matter what. He's never had a particularly great bat in the minors, but he can field extremely well. Um, his season stats actually look pretty good. 264 average, 331 on base, uh, 717 OPS. That is a 103 OPS plus. So that is pretty good. I don't know if he'll maintain that, but if he does, that would be pretty good. My expectation for him is to maintain a 95 OPS plus or greater. Because I think if, even if he does that, even if he's a little bit below average with the bat, his glove is going to make up for it. And by the way, I'm actually giving him an A. <laughs> I should I should have mentioned that. He was like a war machine. He was in the top 10 on war for this team. He was like a one-war player despite only playing 44 games. So extrapolate that over 162. That's like four war right there. So pretty cool. Um so they, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just be a, a like a slightly below average bat, and and the glove will make up for it. The glove will do the rest, and he'll be good. And then the last hitter that I have is Drew Waters. Mid-season trade, we traded our extra draft pick for him. He was kind of a failed prospect from the Braves, one of, like a former top prospect who just you know couldn't be taught to hit really. Um, and was definitely falling, falling, looking like a quadruple A kind of guy. And Royals took him. Well, he posted in 32 games, 240 average, 324 on base, 479 slugging. He had an OPS above 800, just a little bit above, and an OPS plus of 124. Bro, that's insane. That's amazing. Our hitting coaches are gods. They should be worshipped. We should build a religion around them. I was personally very, very impressed with what little we saw of Drew Waters last season. I hope he, I hope that wasn't just like a hot start or anything. My expectation for him this season is cut down on the strike rate because it is extremely high. He posted a 36.7% strikeout rate. Get that, get that down to at least, like at most, 30%. And then um, keep the walks above 10%. He walked 11% of the time, which is awesome. That's actually fantastic. If he can maintain 10% or, or, or above, then, yeah, he's going to post a pretty solid on-base percentage. And that'll probably give him an OPS plus of 120 or greater. I'd like that for him. That's what I want from him. And okay, 75 minutes into that, I finally finished all the hitters. Don't worry, the pitchers are going to be a lot quicker because I think we already kind of know where this is going. Let's talk about those pitchers. By the way, I'm not giving like an overall grade to the team or anything like that. I'm not complicating it. I'm just doing individual players. You How did the team grade? They lost 97 games. <laughs> it wasn't very good. There we go. All right. First pitcher, I'm kind of going by innings pitched here. Brady Singer, he, had, he pitched the most innings for the Royals, 153.1, 3.23 ERA. I am giving him an A+. Brady Singer was fantastic. It was so fun to watch him this season. He's, he started the, the season in the bullpen and was optioned for a brief period, but when he came back, he finally showed everyone why he was a top talent in the 2018 draft, why the Royals were not fools for taking him. 
He's absolutely starting to live up to the hype, and I hope he is able to just maintain what he started last season. My expectation for him in 2023 is keep a low to mid three ERA and pitch 180 innings or more. I think he can do that. I think that is totally reasonable for him. And if that happens, we might finally be looking at a a good homegrown pitcher for the Kansas City Royals. What a rarity. Next up, Brad Keller. <laughs> Wheel of Fortune, lose a turn noise. Bad, bad Brad Keller. We got really, really bad Brad Keller this season. Uh, big fat F's in chat for, for what was once a great pitcher for the Royals. Just terrible, terrible. 139.2 innings, 5.09 ERA. Huh? Huh? What is that? What is, what is that, bro? Although, he actually had a positive war. 0.2 war. We won two-tenths of a game because of Brad Keller this season. Awesome. Um, Just, no, it was awful. It was terrible. It was, it was horrible. It was the worst thing ever. Um, Cal Eldred is literally the Antichrist. So my expectation for 2023, Brad Keller, go back to 2019, Brad Keller. I'm not expecting like anything crazy or anything, but hey, 110 ERA plus, he can do that. He did that for his first couple of seasons, and it was awesome. If we can get that back again, then cool. Oh, and also, this should go without saying, but I would like him to remain as a starter, please, because I think that's what he was supposed to be. And, you know, the Royals took him out of the rotation last year. Didn't do anything. But maybe, hopefully, with new coaching, with new eyes, new talents, he'll be rebuilt. We can rebuild Brad Keller. We have the technology. Or, in this case, the coaching. I think they've always had the technology. They just didn't know how to use it or something like that. What do I know? I don't work for the Royals or play for them. Anyway, okay. Zach Greinke is up next. Zach Greinke, 137 innings pitched, 3.68 ERA. You know, I wasn't sure what to expect from Zach Greinke at age 38. And in a way, I'm still not sure what to expect. But I'm really, really glad he's around. The one thing that was kind of scary for him is that he was injured last season. Zach Greinke does not get injured, guys. He does not ever get injured. That is very unusual for him. Since becoming like a legit starter and sticking in the league in 2008, Zach Greinke had two seasons where he didn't throw 30 starts. Yeah, I don't think you throw a start, but he didn't start 30 games. And that was 2011 and uh, 2016. And then I'm not counting 2020, obviously. Oh, technically 2021, he only started 29, but look, he pitched in the postseason as well, so whatever. Um, Yeah. So that was a thing, but maybe it's not too big of a deal. Hopefully it's not too big of a deal. Hopefully it's nothing to really worry about long-term. Um, he's just old. <laughs> so I'm giving Zach Granke a B plus. I think that whatever he was supposed to do, he did it. He threw some innings, not as many as you would maybe want him to, but he's old. I think that his presence in general was really nice to have around. I think he taught a lot to the young pitchers. Even if it didn't quite show in the numbers, I still think that there's a lot for them to learn. 
that they are learning a lot from him. And I think and they've always and they've all been like super highly positive about him. They've all been like, yeah, it's awesome having him around. And not just in like the, hey, Zach Granke, tell the Chipotle story again kind of way. But in like, the, oh, he's like the smartest guy in the world and is t- and is has a lot to say about pitching. And that's pretty cool. So, yeah, B plus overall. Uh, he didn't excel. He well, he didn't exceed expectations, but it, it was really nice having him around. My expectation for him in 2023, stay healthy, pitch 150 plus innings. That would be wonderful. All right, I have three guys who all have the same exact grade and the same exact um, expectation. Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, Carlos Hernandez. I gave them all Fs. Big Fs. And the expectation is IDK improve. That is really all I have to say. I think the number. Th- here's the numbers. Bad. They're all bad. The numbers are really, really bad. They, they, they're bad and they suck. What should they do in 2023? Be less bad, please. Preferably. That is what I would that is what I would like from them. And really, that's all that I can say about them. Um, Wyatt Mills is next, because he threw he pitched 19. He pitched 20.2 innings for the Royals. So he counts. He makes the cutoff. The, the cutoff was 20 innings. Um well, he had a 4.79 ERA, so he didn't throw very good innings. And I, and so I'm going to give him a D. Expectation is he doesn't have one because he's not here anymore. Okay. Uh, Colin Snyder. Reliever, 30 point, 34.1 innings pitched, 6.55 ERA. Yeah. Uh, D. I'll give him a D. Just because he's just some guy who kind of came out of nowhere, so... I guess there weren't great expectations of him anyway. He's just kind of like a, a specialist sort of pitcher, which is a guy who gets a lot of ground balls. Um, so, yeah. D, I'm just not like mad enough to give him an F. There are guys who are worse that deserve the Fs more. Um, so, expectation for him, walk fewer guys. This is going to be a very common goal for a lot of these guys. And Colin Snyder is actually someone who probably walked fewer guys than many of these relievers. He walked 3.9 guys per game. Cool. Please walk f- fewer than that. Preferably fewer than three. Josh Stalmont is next. I gave him an F because we actually have expectations for Josh Stalmont. We've seen him when he's good. When Josh Stalmont is good, he is really, really good. That was not the case last year. 37.2 innings pitched, 6.5 ERA, 6.45 ERA, sorry, excuse me, sumimasen, 6.9 walks per nine. That's pretty bad. So that's the expectation for next year. Walk less guys, preferably fewer than three per nine innings. Until then, but I really hope he gets better though, because I think he's cool. Yoel Piamps, he was a guy, remember him? 42.2 innings pitched, 3.16 ERA? Wait a minute, he was actually okay. I'm giving him a B- because I remember him being really bad in high leverage situations. So, that's not cool. Um, And I don't know, maybe there are like some, maybe there's some sign that he actually wasn't as good as the ERA might suggest. Um, His fielding independent pitching is 4.35, maybe that has something to do with it. Um, so he wasn't, he's not on the team anymore, so it doesn't really matter anyway. 
Jose Quas, another guy who came out of nowhere, 37.2 innings pitch, 3.58 ERA, one save. You know what? I'm pleasantly surprised with Jose Quas, especially for a guy who came out of nowhere. I'm going to give him a B plus. Good job, Jose Quas. He had a pretty solid season. He's a guy who I don't think is ever going to be like a super great reliever, but he's going to be a guy in the bullpen who just has like a weird, funky delivery that just adds a different flavor of pitch for the hitters to learn. Kind of like the Tim Hill of the year. Anyone remember Tim Hill? He's actually still with the Padres. You know who we traded him for? I don't. I forgot. <laughs> you probably thought that was going to go somewhere with that. All right. Anyway, expectations for Jose Quas. Keep the ERA at or uh, around or below 3.5. And also get walks down. He walked 5.7 batters per innings. 5.7 batters per game. Sorry. I think if he walked 5.7 batters per inning, we'd have a much bigger problem on our hands. Amir Garrett. He was, a, he was a guy we traded for Mike Miner. And I'll say this. I'll give him credit. He pitched a lot better than Mike Miner. I also think he pitched more than Mike Miner, even though Mike Miner is a starter. Hang on. Amir Garrett pitched 45.1 innings last year. Mike Miner pitched... Oh, he pitched 98 innings. I'm sorry. I thought Mike Miner was injured for, like, the entire season. But anyway, 45.1 innings pitched, 4.96 ERA. Eh... Not good. Not particularly good. I'm going to give him a C-. minus. He did have some solid stretches, for what it's worth. Like, Amir Garrett did have some flashes where he was okay. Um, maybe it's kind of like a Whit Merrifield situation where he was just kind of checked out a lot of the time and wishing he could play for a better team. Because I do think that when the, when, the, when the team was maybe a little more competitive, when they were getting some wins together, it was like, like he would be pitching better, I think, but... I don't know. Um, 6.4 walks per nine. Get the walks down. That's the expectation. And I'd also prefer an ERA below four because that's just cool. Taylor Clark, another guy who came out of nowhere. Where do we get these relievers? Where do relievers come from? I think it was a waiver pickup, actually. 4.04 ERA in 49 innings pitch. Three saves to his name. And you know what? I'm going to give him a B plus expectations are basically to just maintain that like i don't really know what to say he he only walked 1.5 batters per nine innings oh my god how does he do it what is his secret you can like not walk a ton of batters what why aren't everyone else on the royals roster why aren't you doing this why why aren't you literally taylor clark just be Blake Snell, but less sleepy. That's what he looks like. He looks like Blake Snell, just without the the crazy eye bags. At least that's what I think. So yeah, just just maintain or improve. Improve would be preferable, but you know, maintaining is also okay. Kind of cool because he doesn't suck. I appreciate that. Thank you, Taylor Clark. Dylan Coleman, sixty eight innings pitched, two point seven eight ERA. Wow. Where do we get this guy? Oh, yeah, we traded for him, for Trevor Rosenthal, six weeks of it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Dylan Coleman was fantastic. He was a great late-inning guy. I'm giving him an A. He was solid. He was money. He was nails. And my expectation for him this season, 
Get the walks down. He walked 4.9 batters per nine. So if he has a sub three ERA while also walking a crap ton of guys, imagine how, how good he'll be if he just stops walking guys. Just don't walk guys, bro. Just like, I don't know, throw the ball in the strike zone. It's so easy. How hard could this be? I don't know. I don't know how to do it. But I'm also not a Major League Baseball player. I'm just an armchair guy. I'm just a guy on the internet, so I can say whatever I want, because I know everything. I'm so smart. I have a podcast talking about how smart I am. I don't know why that happened. I don't, that, I'm sorry. That was very, very weird. Okay. Next up, final pitcher, final player that we're going to talk about. Scott Barlow, my beloved 74.1 innings pitch, 2.18 ERA, 24 saves. Scott Barlow is that guy. He is him. He is what Vinny Pasquantino is as a pitcher. That doesn't make any sense, but in my own weird, bizarre, messed up, disordered head, it does. And what's awesome about Scott Barlow is that the metrics on him are awesome. They're fantastic. He's not getting hit super hard. His expected ERA, it's 2.96, but that's actually lower than it was even last year. Last year, he had an expected ERA of 3.32, an actual ERA of 2.42. It's like everything, like all of the metrics suggest that Scott Barlow got like better on every single level in 2022. It's just fantastic. He mixed up his pitches a lot differently this season. He threw his his breaking stuff a lot more. He used his four-seamer a lot less, but it's just great. And he just kind of said that was because his four-seamer just wasn't as good. Like, he just wasn't able to command it very well. And, and now you're hearing him talk about in spring training where, like, he is getting better at throwing this pitch. He is get, getting better at missing bats with it. Like, wait a minute. He's he's going to have, like, three-plus pitches now? Wait a minute. <laughs> if he was this good with, like, restrictions, imagine how good he'll be if he's actually getting better, dude. Like, what? So yeah, he gets a sparkling, shining, super A+, and my expectation for him in 2023 is make the All-Star game, which is a completely unfair expectation because he has no control over that, but I have nothing else to say. Like, he is great. Even if he was a little less great than he was, even if he posted an ERA closer to 3, then he would still be really good. So I can't really give much more of an expectation than that. He's just fantastic. And as a fellow long-haired boy myself, I appreciate the representation. Don't don't cut off the hair. That's that's my expectation for the keep the hair. That's that's what that's what my expectation for 2023 is. <sighs> I think I'm done. I think I talked about every player that appeared for the Royals in 2022. I know that there are some new faces that will be showing up to the team, but I'm not going to grade them because they didn't play for the Royals, so I don't have any real opinion on them. But hopefully, they'll be able to put together a solid season that will be worth talking about later on, and we'll come back to this next year. Uh, This time, I actually wrote down all the expectations so that I can come back to them and see just how everybody did. But maybe my expectations were just crazy unreasonable. Or maybe they exceeded expectations by a ton, and I wasn't thinking about that enough, and I was super lenient. I don't know. The possibilities are virtually endless. 
But whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Royal Deluxe Podcast. It was a long one, and, well, um, that's fine because there are going to be other long episodes coming this week. Because you know what? I was supposed to do these in the offseason, so I'm doing them now. Tomorrow, Tuesday, I'm going to visit the, pro- the I'm going to revisit the predictions, the projections that I made to every MLB team for 2022. I'm going to revisit all of those, and I'm going to talk about all of them. How did I do? Why am I doing that? Because, well, that's preparation for the actual projections that are coming this season. I'm going to give you what I think the Royals are going to Okay, let me let me back up. I'm going to give you my projection for the Royals regular season in 2023 on Wednesday. I'm going to say exactly how many wins the Royals are going to have and also how many losses they're going to have. Whoa, crazy. And eventually, I'll do this for every MLB team. I'll do that on Friday after the Royals play baseball. Because the Royals play baseball on Thursday, and I'm excited. Okay, I need to go to bed. I need to stop freaking talking because I've been talking for 90 minutes already. Crazy. If you actually got this far, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate that you took time out of your day to listen to this. Or you probably didn't, like, take time out of your day. You probably just, like, put listen to this in the background. But whatever. Doesn't matter. I really appreciate you doing that. Thank you for making it a, a part of your day. That's what I meant to say. I hope you're having a good one. Royal Deluxe Podcast at Royal Deluxe at Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter, Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com. Have a good one. See you tomorrow. I'm Lux. Go Royals.